there's probably no bigger buzzword right now than artificial intelligence. All right, well, that's two words. But still, it's such a hot topic in the tech world and also even in popular media right now. So what I want to do today in this episode is demystify what artificial intelligence is really all about, but specifically what it means for networking. So with me today is a personal friend of mine, Ryan Booth, who has years of experience as a more traditional network engineer, pretty high-level network engineer, holding a CCIE, among other certifications, but for the last six or seven years has been laser-focused on the DevOps and the software side of the house. And more recently, Ryan's work and experience has brought him squarely in the center of this conversation using AI technology and networking. So we'll be defining some terms, dispelling some myths, and hopefully shedding some of the marketing fluff around AI and getting to the heart of the technology itself. My name is Philip Gervasi, and this is Telemetry Now. Hey, Ryan, it's really good to have you, man. Uh, You and I have talked many times, and we've known each other for years. I really appreciate your background in networking, and I've been following what you're doing now uh, in this space as far as AI and uh, really your kind of transition as far as your career into the more DevOpsy world, I guess you could say. So thanks for joining the podcast today. And um, as we get going and before we dive in deep uh, uh, into our topic, can you give us a little bit of a background on yourself? I mean, I, I kind of spilled the beans a little bit and told everybody that, yes, you have a background in networking and now you're working in more of an AI space. But from, from you, what are you up to these days? Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Um, it's, I'm, I'm always excited to have this, this conversation right now as it's a very hot topic and one I'm building a lot of passion through. So um, like you said, my, my core background has been in networking and infrastructure. Um, I've been doing that for the better part of I did 15 plus years. Um, worked my way up to CCIE, worked for various companies, various organizations, saw all sorts of different types of networking, um, went into the vendor space, um, mostly with a deep interest into um, network DevOps, doing network automation. Um, and working through that, I kind of built more of a passion around um, development and working through the development skill set as a software engineer. Um, I ran that for quite a while up until right now, and that's currently where um, I earn a paycheck is doing um, managing a software development team, um, doing web applications for our systems. And recently, over the past year, year and a half, somewhere in there, I I really started picking up on um, AI and ML. Mostly it started from a personal standpoint um, with a lot of the AI art stuff out there. That's kind of where I, I got my hooks into it and really got excited about it. And then when ChatGTP landed and the, the whole AI craze hit, it kind of just accelerated it. And as I started digging more and more, I found avenues inside of my current employer to, to pursue those. And I've kind of just been working through that now. And so that's, that's kind of where my career has progressed um, and kind of where it's going. So, yeah. So then I'd really like to know why, though, you went from the networking space towards a, in a DevOps direction. What was the impetus to do that? Because I know I remember when everybody was getting into network automation for the first time and that conversation was happening out there in the community. What was the reason that you chose to kind of shift from traditional networking, configuring sure. routers and switches and turning a wrench into automation and, then, and the, the, the DevOps world? Yeah, so yeah, that's a good question. It was kind of twofold. Um, 
I, I would blame my CCIE and the studies for my CCA, CCIE on a lot of it. Okay. Um, I, the I the repetitive typing of RIP commands into a command line and building router config, BGP config over and over and over and over right, um, right. really wore me out. And then also that was around the time when SDN was picking up a lot of traction um, or at least a lot of market buzz is the better way to say it. Right. And I, I through a number of vendors, through a number of um, social events, things like that, I, I recognize that there's there should be a better way to do all this. Um, and, and that's where I was like, okay, we, we need to add program, programmatic interfaces to network. We need to be able to automate instead of manually typing these commands. And that's kind of where it started. And as things progressed over the next few years, and this was probably about 2014, 2015, somewhere around in there, you know, as things progressed, configuration was getting more and more complex every single day. You know, um, you have MPLS, it's always kind of been out there and the complexities with it. But mm -hmm. then EVPN hit for the data center and the complexity with that kind of just went up as well. And it's like, okay, we can't keep doing this manually. We, we have to introduce some sort of programmatic way to handle this at scale. And so that's, that's where a lot of my passion shifted into, I don't want to configure a router through the CLI anymore. And do you think that the more recent shift from, you know, network automation DevOps into a focus on AI is kind of the logical progression of that, of that change? I think so. Um, it, it's, I, I think it'll be a, a decent jump, but it's kind of hard to say. Um, but I, I do, um, you gotta, AI is just not going to sit down at your chair and take over your job and, and do things manually for you. Oh, thank it's, goodness. It's gotta be built into a workflow. Right. You know, you, you got, we got to figure out how to handle it. And all of this stuff is still way up in the air and how it's done, but it's going to be done programmatically. That's, that's for sure. And so to be able to work on infrastructure and to work on network kit, you've got to be able to do it programmatically. So that's kind of the spirit, the underlying premise here of everything is that the, the real benefit of the shift from traditional networking into uh, the, the DevOps mindset, network automation, and now into uh, the application of the AI concepts and workflows in networking is to add a programmatic element to actual network operations, to the mundane tasks of running a network, troubleshooting, fixing, learning what's going on, if you're looking at it from a visibility perspective. It's really uh, operations focused, right? It, it, I mean, I don't wanna downplay the importance here. That, that's a very important thing. We're talking about application delivery and the applications that run my hospital and run the United States military and run yeah. mundane things like my productivity tools, like you know Word and PowerPoint that I have online these days. So as much as as much as um, you know, we look at these shifts as we just want to make configuring devices easier. It's really solving a network operations problem. It's not like magic. Like I, I don't like it when people say, "Look at what we do. It's magic." And you know, it, that that's silly. This is technology. It's it's yep. code and and uh, specific database choices. It's specific technology choices in order to to solve a specific problem. And in this case, I really feel like it's a it's an operations problem more than anything else. Do you agree, or am I wrong? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree there. Um, okay. It's 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 totally operational. Um, you know, you, if, if if you look at anything out there, the the design and deployment um, is is a smaller percentage of you know the life cycle of a of an infrastructure. So you know, the, there are places there to be able to you know improve and to automate 
Um, but operations is where we need that focus and we need that effort. So yeah, totally agree okay. there. Okay. So I was talking to one of our data scientists uh, months ago, actually, uh, at Kentic, so internally, and we were chatting about his background. And he, he made the comment that, you know, he, he's not in networking, or rather he is now. He wasn't in networking. So he's got a PhD in computer science and uh, with a focus on machine learning, among other things. And he was working in the uh, some kind of an aircraft, aircraft manufacturing industry. I don't know if it was manufacturing or not. But in any case, what they were doing was collecting a, an incredible amount of telemetry, information, data, from the various systems of, of a particular aircraft. And then they were analyzing that and applying uh, advanced analysis workflows. I'm going to call it that and not use AI, AI and ML just yet, right? They were using these data analysis workflows to figure out what was wrong, uh, what elements in their various visibility tools were correlated to each other, ultimately for the purpose of sending out a tech, <laughs> of sending out a human being to go fix the problem. Now we know what the root cause is, let's go fix it, rather than let's go mess around with wires and, and, and widgets for hours and weeks. We need the aircraft back online right now, so let's use this tool to send out a human. And I really feel like that's what we're doing now. We're, we're applying these more modern um, data analysis workflows. When I say modern, by the way, sometimes I wonder if they really are that modern because we've been using them in other industries for a long time, but only, only more recently in networking, mm -hmm. which I want to I touch on that later. But we're, we're applying these new workflows, new to our industry at least, in order to send out an engineer, <laughs> in order to get a human being to fix the problem faster. But this... He, he doesn't, in that, in that conversation, he didn't use the term AI even once. He didn't say artificial intelligence even once. So for me, this begs the question, talking to you, Ryan, uh, what, what is artificial intelligence? Is it different than machine learning? Is it different than just kind of like a college-level statistical analysis? Is it just a buzzword, or is it something unique that we can point to, to that says, this thing over here, yes, this is AI? Yeah. No, I think it's a. I, th I think this is a, a, a very important topic for us to to discuss, especially in, in in the modern day right now, because there's a lot of buzz, um, there's a lot of stuff going on, and, and it, there's a lot of misconception here. Um, and I I like to throw the analogy out there that we've seen in the industry a number of times. We we get these buzzwords, we get these cool new technologies. And everybody instantly, if you relate it to cars um, and the different style of cars and the different, um, you know, aspects and problems that the cars solve or, or what they provide features, you know, everybody wants to instantly jump to a Ferrari <laughs> or a Lamborghini. You know, that is what's going to solve all of our problems. And we don't realize that what we have and the problem we're trying to solve can possibly be solved by a Toyota Corolla. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I see it here. Um, you know, you, you have these large language models. You you have ChatGTP. Um, you you have um, even deep learning stuff that goes way more advanced in it as well. But a lot of problems you don't necessarily need to go that far. You can use just basic machine learning with basic algorithm algorithms. Uh -huh. So I I, I kind of break everything down into three sections right now. Um, and the, the first one being the basic machine learning, um, the stuff that's kind of been around for a very long time. We're, we're talking the 80s or, or further back. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a model that has very few layers, one, maybe two. Um, it's, it's, it's simple algorithms. Well, relative to AI and ML, 
Um, it's, it's simple algorithms like linear regression um, and then just pushing that through a few layers, um, doing you know basic what's called forward pop propagation and backwards propagation for, for your training and, and your fitting of your model. Um, and so these, these, these types of models are usually very, very focused on a given task. Um, they're not generalized, what, like what you're seeing with chat GPT. Um, they have one specific job and they do it well. And so that's, okay. that's where ML comes in pretty good. And that's what's been around for a while there. Um, after that, you, you kind of get a, you, you basically don't change up a lot of what you're doing. You just introduce new layers and you go a little bit deeper with the same type of stuff. And how you stack those together is kind of where deep learning comes into play. So, you know, if, if you have multiple layers inside of an ML model and you, you replicate that however many times you need to, um, that's when you start getting into deep learning. And so then I see uh, artificial intelligence is a kind of a broad category. It is the idea of saying, let's teach these systems or rather create these systems to think like a human. Um, and, and it's that broad. Like it doesn't really mean that much more than that. It's, yeah. it's uh, programmatic computers, or rather it is computers that we program to think like a human being. And machine learning is a technical component of how we do that. So we're talking about training the model with, with data. However, and there's different ways to do that, I get it. Uh, and then the application of models to data sets to then derive some sort of insight. So machine learning in that sense is a technical function of the broader category of artificial intelligence, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and I would even um, argue as far as it's, you know, it's, it's the foundation of it all. Um, and, and that's myself personally as I've been ramping up here. Um, it's, it's, it's where I've focused all my energy um, is, is, is really understanding ML, um, the various models going on and then digging into deep learning, because I, I think that's the core of all of this. Well, it's, you know, you, you look at these, these models and how they're built and how the LLMs handle stuff, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it basically is that at its foundation, but just done at a very large scale. Okay. So then, uh, machine learning, which which has been around for a long time, it's been around for decades and decades. Uh, why do you think that we're only starting to apply these types of data analysis workflows to the networking industry today, or at least in recent years? Maybe not today, as in literally 2023. It's been a few years, but recently. Yeah, I, you know that's a good question. Um, it's. I think our the the networking industry and the infrastructure industry has kind of always been a little slower to adopt newer technologies, um, especially networking. Um, security mm -hmm. seems to kind of be the same way, in my opinion. Um, server infrastructure has, you know, they went through their virtualization and then Docker um, containerization stuff like that. But to really take this type of stuff and and start applying it, I think companies have tried. Um, but I, I think it, it really, the, the ML um, buzzword for machine learning, I, th I think really didn't take off in, until 2015 or so when, when a couple of things progressed. Um, and then most recently with, with generative AI um, and, and LLMs, you know, that's, that's been even later, um, 2016, 2017. And so I, I think that's, you know, you have various companies out there, and I think most large vendors and most, most companies that are working in the space have dabbled in it or tried with various products to get there. 
um, with mixed results. So I, I think it's been there, but I, it, the marketing hype really just hit, you know, just over the past few years. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the marketing hype around other buzzwords over the years, right? Remember, uh, around the time when you and I first met, everybody was talking about SDN and it, oh, and yeah. even back then it meant, it meant very little, uh, what is software defined networking? And it's funny because here we are, I don't know when that was, that was probably eight years ago when we met. Um, nobody uses that term anymore. It, right. It's gone from the zeitgeist and from, you know, the, the narrative in our community. We don't even talk about it. Maybe because it's become literally integrated into the, the concept of SDN has been so integrated in so many of the tools that we use that maybe it's just ubiquitous and therefore we don't talk about it. But I think we don't talk about it because it was mostly just a buzzword. And that's why I have that kind of bad taste in my mouth when I hear the term AI thrown around so flippantly and loosely. Because I know from experience, I, I know, for example, why my company applies certain ML models and why we don't apply certain ML models. It's, it's to solve a problem. So, right. you know, for example, you know, we are uh, looking to find seasonality in network data. And we apply a model, and it's way off, and it makes no sense, so we don't use it. And maybe instead of using a more complex uh, algorithm, we can do something much more simple, akin to what you would learn as a junior in college, right? But lo and behold, it gives us the answer that we want. So I really see the technical components in modern data analysis workflows as tools in our tool belt. We use something when it makes sense, like we would use any tool in our tool belt when it makes sense, and then we don't when it doesn't. So we're trying to forecast or detect anomalies. Right. Um, so we're trying to identify, here's something that you know we, we struggle with in the industry, I know, but um, uh, is identifying dependencies among short-term uh, short dependencies and long-term dependencies, right? So we have this causal relationship in the data where we can say, hey, look, this thing over here is causing this uh, manifestation in the network over here, but it's a short-term dependency. Those things don't even, like a CNI, right, on a container, that thing doesn't even exist for very long, so it's not actually gonna cause that for this long-term uh, time period. Whereas a configuration might be a long-term dependency, right? Because that's something that's more static. So how do you encapsulate that into algorithms? How do you encapsulate that into literal math that lives in like Python, that lives in Jupyter notebooks, that lives in whatever kind of database that you're using? That's tough. And, and so I really look at all of these components as tools to, to, to help a, a human being engineer solve a problem. You know, I've found I found that just choosing the right kind of database so you can query databases fast, right, to query all that data just fast so you can actually use it, you know, when you're trying to troubleshoot why your application stinks, right? Yeah. That in and of itself is, is a, a great step forward. And, yes, that's part of the overall picture here because, you know, it's, a, it's part and parcel of um, how, do we, how do we ingest data, how do we query data as part of, like, a data analysis workflow. I get it. But, but think about it, just which, are we using a relational database or a columnar database, and, and what is the benefit and the, the drawback of those? So I think there's so, there's so much more than just, we use machine learning. I, I remember seeing a, uh, I don't remember who it was, some company, they had an ML button in their UI, in their, in their menu, you know what I mean? <laughs> it was a screenshot I saw, I think it was on LinkedIn or maybe a YouTube video. And I just remember thinking, I paused it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, what, what does that do? So I clicked that button, the machine learning, but really? Like that makes no sense. To me, it's an underpinning function that produces a result. And it's like, all right, you got an alert that there's this problem or you get this uh, message from the system if you're using some sort of chat ops maybe. And it says, hey, you have this 
uh, increase in cost in your AWS egress over here, and we believe that the likely cause is because you shifted from data center A to data center B on this part of the world. That, that's like insight derived from data. To me, that, that's machine learning happening. It's not a button that I yep. press. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and I, I think it, um, you know, I think, I think it, it starts there. Um, those, those, those are where a lot of problems can be solved. And that's where a lot of problems should be solved. Um, you know, there's there's definitely been talk around the industry, exactly like you said, that you know, let's let's get to a point where we can have a, a single application do this root cause analysis for us, or we, we can have this central dashboard that'll show us absolutely everything we need to know, and we just click buttons to solve it. Um, and I think where that's always fallen short is being able to tie the people together who who know how to make those elements correlate with the people that know how to build the system and build the algorithms and, and build True. the ML system to put it together. Yeah. And I think that's where as an industry we've, we've struggled for quite a while. Um, but it's, it's also massively complex. You, you take one, one given instance, say like of an, an interface flapping for an example, um, knowing, you know, that, that an interface is actually flapping between two nodes is it an SFP, SS, ah, is it an optics issue? You know, is, is the CPU on the router overloaded? Is the cable bad? What, what is it? And just a simple thing like that to actually break down and have a system be able to correlate and figure that out, that, that gets complex. And that's mm -hmm. one of the simpler issues. Yeah. And so putting all that together, it, it becomes a massive ordeal. And where you can take something like ML or even deep learning um, models is, is be able to pump that data into it um, and, and let the model actually recognize with, with normal traffic flow coming in and out at constant times where it's seeing issues and where th things crop up. Um, I think where that gets complicated, um, I, I obviously have not you know worked on this hands-on directly, so I'm just kind of going from a theoretical standpoint. Mm -hmm. But where that gets complicated is you have to be able to identify your various channels and identify the data that actually matters and mm. at the various layers of the model or, or what gets inputted in, into the beginning stages of the model and, and where, where it learns from there. And then it's a matter of training and retraining to go through it. That's where it could really help out because we don't have to manually correlate all this stuff together for every single possible issue that could be out there. Um, let, let the models do their job and find stuff for us. Yeah, yeah, and and I I have actually in talking to some data scientists, both at Kentic and other places, that's a, that's actually easier said than done, or rather, it's hard, easier yeah, easier said than done. That's the phrase, because it's actually easy to find correlation. It's not mm -hmm. hard, and uh, the 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 difficulty comes in when you find things that are correlated. But who cares? It's how do you add the subjective component, the 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 human part of engineering. The idea is, okay, these things are related, but that doesn't affect end user experience in my New York office. It's like, right. okay, well then do I care? And if they are correlated, are they correlated? Is it a spurious correlation or is it a causal relationship? Is a third variable not at play or at play here that we're not identifying? So I've seen that, um, I've seen that correlation is not difficult to identify. Uh, you know, it's just assigning a correlation coefficient based in math, it's not hard. 
Um, but having meaningful correlation or finding meaningful correlation, that's, that's different. It's different. Uh, right. Because again, it's, it's the idea of we have very dynamic, um, not static networks. We have ephemeral information. If we start getting into containers and end users, possibly, if you want to collect information from there, we're talking about very, very divergent data. So if we're looking at, uh, analyzing data, it's not just, uh, like in the healthcare industry, just analyzing like information from MRI, right? And it's all similar data. And then you're trying to figure out and forecast some sort of that. I've, I've seen that and that makes sense. But when you're looking at network data, you're looking at uh, very, very diverse types of telemetry that are incredibly different scales and formats and types um, and, and represent very different things. And a lot of it's subjective. Uh, it's not subjective. A lot of it's uh, 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 not quantitative in the sense that it's a tag. Uh, it's a label. It doesn't represent any particular activity. It's like a security tag or an application tag or a user ID, yeah. process ID on a container. So how do you fit that in into your algorithm? So I, I, I've, I think that I've always thought that that's one of the reasons that it's been a little bit slower uptake because we have in the networking industry is because we have that difficulty to overcome. But you mentioned ChatGPT a few times already. <laughs> you mentioned uh, LLMs a couple of times already. W what does that have to do with anything? What, what, first of all, what is this an LLM? And, and uh, what can I solve with that in the networking space? Yeah. So LLMs and basically the, um, the, the invention of what's called transformers, if, if anybody's heard that buzzword out there, it's not a buzzword. It's the technology actually used. Um, is, is, you know, if, if, if you take a deep learning model that's, that's, that's a large number of layers um, and then you take that and you make it much, much larger with a much larger corpus of data, a collection of data um, that is very generalized mm -hmm. and, and you push it through a transformer model. Um, so, so basically, if, if you're looking at deep learning um, and you're th so if, if we're talking LLMs and we're talking ChatGDP, I'll connect that route. So this is usually with text generation, okay, um, and text prediction. So what's 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 the sentence or respond to this this question that I have? Deep learning is one of those when you're looking at um, some of the examples out there, like the older models, like RNNs and um, what's called LSTM, which is how our RNNs are built is you pump in a handful of words and it guesses the best next word after that. And so the best way to, um, to, to visualize that is if you think about going to Google and you type in a search, it has a drop down that suggests the next words to use. Same thing with on your phone when you're texting. Um, it gives you text predictions. But it only predicts the next word. Um, it only predicts you know the next two or three words that you might be using. It doesn't take the entire sentence under context and respond in full. And that's where LLMs really took a step forward is the transformer model allowed you to input a larger set of text, one or two sentences or even more, and get a full response back, not just the next word. Um, and so what that opens up, that opened up a lot more of context for you because, you know, the that's that's kind of the key here is like if you're just predicting the next word, you don't know the context to the past three words back, okay? Right. And with a transformer and with um, GPT models um, like GPT-3, BARD, LLAMA, um, Anthrop Anthropics model that are open, um, all of those are where you can actually start interacting with it. And that's what we're seeing now. And so that's when the 
um, LLMs really started coming into play, and that's that's where we are right now with the generative side of it. Yeah, and I have a subscription to ChatGPT. I use it pretty frequently. It's very interesting. Um, I have experimented with it to see how I can kind of break it. I say break it in air quotes. Uh, what kind of responses I can elicit. Um, to me, it's not hyper useful because of what I do for a living, so I don't necessarily need it in, in, um, to succeed at my job necessarily. But how do you think that ChatGPT, or at least similar type of technologies, what role do they play in networking, or will they play, do you predict? Yeah, um, there's, it, it goes a number of different ways. Um, from what I've explored right now, and I'll say the absolute most important response to that question right now is we don't know. Okay. Um, we we have guesses. Um, some of us and a lot of us have started playing with it and started exploring and figuring out where we can and can't use it. But for the most part, where it's going to land is really hard to tell right now. Um, it's going to be a very integral part of our jobs, um, but we just don't know how yet. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you mentioned earlier, you have a chat GTP subscription. Um, okay. I do as well. I, I highly recommend anybody out there, highly recommend if you can get that subscription, beg your boss, get them to pay for it or any of the others that are out there and, and really start using them, just figuring out and exploring how to use them because that's how we're going to figure this out is just by doing, just by trying, experimenting, playing with, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't. Um, but for right now, the, the roles that I see at play is the, <clears throat> um, the, the first one right out of the gate, um, especially with the LLMs and, and GPT models is it's, it's going to improve our interaction with programs, with applications, with devices by introducing natural language communication. Um, and so you'll, you'll see it um, out in the industry termed as NLP or natural language processing, which is a mm -hmm. whole group in and of itself. Right. Um, but being able to actually use your natural language in, in whatever language you speak as well and interact with those devices, that, that's going to be the critical part. Um, and that's, that's going to be what comes out of it. Now, how it does that, that still needs to be figured out. So instead of having to know a specific CLI, instead of having to know a specific programming language or, you know, how, what operating system you're working with, that stuff should get smoothed over and you just talk with a natural language to what you want. <clears throat> and I remember uh, that was one of the first things that I did experimenting with ChatGPT when it came out uh, a while back was telling it to configure a thing. You know, I would give it parameters and then it would uh, spit out a configuration in, uh, you know, Cisco CLI or Juniper or whatever uh, I was I was um, asking it to do, and it was okay. Mm -hmm. So you think that that's kind of where we're going as a, as a first major step is is using that technology as a means to make managing, configuring, interacting with our individual devices, and then and therefore networks as a whole more, uh, more just easier. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it goes um, across the board. So you're, you know, in, instead of having to sit down and spend a week or two or however long it does, it takes to to build the config for a new router or a new firewall or a new switch or even a new server, um, you can very quickly just on a chat interface say, hey, I need this, 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 and this. 
um, build it out in a bullet point list, send it into it, and get it, get configuration back. And if it's not perfect, especially like right now, a lot of what you see out there isn't perfect. You get probably 75 to 90% accuracy if you're lucky, but that cuts down a lot of work that you have to do. And so now you can do that last 10 to 15% mm -hmm. of tweaking and you saved yourself X number of hours of time. Um, the other area that I feel this is this is going to be pretty universal, kind of as I, I think it'll have the same impact that the internet had on everybody, is you will now have an expert in your pocket at all times um, for basically almost anything, and we're seeing this all over the place. So you know we've we've always joked about in the industry, especially with automation, network automation is is you know you're at any given time an end user is going to be able to click a button and provide the same operations as a CCIE would um, or get the same level of configuration or you know exposure to the infrastructure as a CCIE would give you but you you have it in front of you and that's also what I think we have here and so through through my experimentations and through the stuff I played with you know I, I can go into these tools I can go into chat GTP or go into any of the other models that are that are more fine-tuned for something and I can ask, how do you do solve this specific problem in Python? And then I get you know, their response and it's like, okay, the, you do this, you do this and do this. I wasn't thinking about how you could do it that way. Okay, well now how do I do that in C? Or how do I do it in Go? And then it'll turn around and give it to you in Go. So instead of having to ramp up and learn all that information or know how to get that information off the internet or off your team, it's just right there at your fingertips. Um, and that will just continue to improve. And I think it's, it's opening up the doors for a lot more people. I think uh, one, of the, one of the things that I'd like to see happen is more than just the interface with our devices and it being able to spit back information about our devices, or at least to give us configuration and to help us, like you said, um, solve problems in that way, is the integration with the actual data of our networks, right? So that way, hey, whatever we name it, like like Lieutenant Commander Jordy LaForge talking to the Enterprise, right? Computer, why is my Chicago office operating very slowly? And then it looks at the data, and it's using artificial intelligence and machine learning and applying models, probably yep. already has. Hopefully there's an alerting system where it tells you before you ask it, right? But in any case, uh, that it says, ah, uh, we identify that there is a slowness on this particular interface and it's likely caused by this thing that's happening over here, DNS resolution times and Route 53 is really slow with this particular file, whatever. Something that, yeah, we could have figured out as engineers, because it's not like the computers are necessarily quote unquote smarter than us, they're just doing everything at scale much faster than us. This is why I say, maybe you disagree with this, this is why I say if I could afford like a team of a few hundred uh, PhDs from like MIT or something like that, um, I could probably just say, yeah, you are my like human chat GPT. Like you just analyze the data, do all your stuff and be in that, in that room doing it for me. But instead I have computers that can do it dramatically faster at larger scales. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, hopefully being able to derive insight uh, that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. So I, I would love to see that integration with the also the ability to have that human language component that we've been talking about just now and the ability for it to spit back answers and spit back configuration. And maybe one day then we follow up with, okay, that sounds good. Push that configuration to mm -hmm. my North America offices or something like that. I don't know. Um, that's kind of, I, I have to say, 
we, we started off talking about how SDN was buzzword stuff, but I have to admit, in my mind's eye, that's kind of what SDN was always supposed to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I, I, I think so. I think the, you know, everybody's talked SDN to death, but I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll go through similar steps and motions with AI that we did there. And the SDN was supposed to just kind of be smoothed out for the end user. It, it was supposed to just be easy. Um, and while stuff did come out of it, you got you know you you got these these automation tools out there that build infrastructure for you automatically. Um, you you have stuff like um, you know the MPLS at the WAN edge. You you got technologies like SD WAN, and they were basically the the right step for SDN just not how the industry looked at it. And SD-WAN didn't come in and say, hey, everybody's got to learn to do this complex MPLS configuration for your WAN. No, you plug in this box and you click these five buttons and you're done. And you have this really complex config, but it's it smoothed out and, and simplified for you. I, I think we get the same thing here. Um, you know, we've, we've made attempts in the past with multiple vendors and we, we build these big telemetry boxes or we go through this really complex data aggregation where we pull all the data in there and it's all at your fingertips. But the problem is you have to know the syntax to query it yeah. and you have to know how to do that effectively. And there's only a handful of people out there that know how to do that effectively and know how to interpret the data. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, we are seeing stuff come and surface over the past year or so where companies are utilizing the newer LLMs that are utilizing the newer technologies like NLP to, to be able to simplify and allow anybody to come in and ask that question and, and get reasonable data back. And, and that's the other part with it, with NLP. So you can, you can interpret um, the, the question I'm asking into the complex um, into the complex queries. So that's natural language understanding. Mm -hmm. The reverse side of that is you get this massive, um, massive amount of data that comes back at you. And you have to also understand how to interpret that. Well, part of NLP is um, NLG um, or natural language generation. Mm -hmm. So your LLMs, your solutions, they actually or um, they shrink all that down into a nice summary for you. So instead of getting this large, complex set of data back that you got to interpret or logs and events, you, you get a simple response like, oh, no, it looks like interface XE0001 is having issues with, with packet drops. Mm -hmm. you, you get it boiled down to a simple response. I, th I think that is where it's crucial and where it's yeah. going to simplify stuff for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. I mean... You, if I had that tool when I was troubleshooting networks and trying to figure out problems where I could literally just ask the network, right? That's, that would be yeah. amazing. And if that's where we're headed, that's great. But what are, so what are your experiences then working with ChatGPT in your experimentation? And I mean, you don't have to get into what you're doing at work necessarily, but what, yeah. what's, I know that you, um, you've built some applications with ChatGPT. What are your experiences there with that? So um, first and foremost, the one I love the absolute most is the, the repetitive task. So if I'm going in and, and right now as a software engineer, I need to build out um, a, a feature in my application. 
And that feature has all these different components that have to be built out. And then there's this whole list of stuff that needs to be done. It's pretty cookie cutter. Um, and in the past, it was basically just manually type all this stuff out and, and just grind through it. And that was part of a software engineer's job. And we, we see that a lot in network automation with the various you know, config files we got to build or the various modules that have to be built to handle our infrastructure, yada, yada. I can just quickly go to ChatGDP and say, hey, build this, do this for me, and give it the specifics I need, and it, it spits it out. And so it's yep. in just copy and paste into the code base, update it as I need to, and then move forward and do the complex work myself. Um, so that's a massive time savings there. And then it also gets into what I mentioned earlier with the stuff that it's like, well, how would I solve this problem? Um, if I got to do this, this, and this, how do I build that? Or what's the most robust way to do it? I can turn around and very quickly ask ChatGTP, hey, how would you do this? And take what they say and be like, oh, okay, okay, they're doing this, 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 and this, and then you can take it from there. And so you get that expert opinion, um, or at least the starting point to move forward. <clears throat> so to me, those are the two biggest ones. Um, you know, I, I love to use it to type um, emails, especially general emails that happen all the time. Um, or there's a lot of emails that, that I, I just don't enjoy typing because I, <laughs> I struggle with how to word it. And so it's like, all right, ChatGTP, how are you going to word this email? Okay, that's way better than what I would say. Thank you. <laughs> You know, or tweak it. And so that, yeah. that helps me stay focused on, you know, my day-to-day. Um, right. an, another one that was really cool that um, my team lead actually did, I won't take credit for this one, but I thought this one was awesome. We, we were in the middle of a planning session for our next sprint um, for the next couple weeks of, of work that our team was going to be doing. And we were trying to scope out a feature that we were going to be building. And it was one that we wanted to add in but we didn't know how much time it was really going to take or how complex it was going to be. So we really couldn't, um, we couldn't guess the number of hours or estimate the number of hours it was going to take. So we couldn't tell if we were going to fit it in the sprint or not. And so what my team lead did, he, he shares his screen while he's doing all of this. Um, he goes up, he asks ChatGTP, how do you build this feature? How do you do this specific thing? It spit it out. He had it tweak it a little. And as he's seeing the code get built on the screen, the whole team's watching as well. Mm -hmm. And so we can see, okay, if we're building it for ourselves, we can visualize everything that needs to happen. And it's like, oh, we didn't think about this part, but ChatGDP caught it. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, you got to build this out. And we're like, okay, then we can better scope this. And then we were able to say, hey, it's probably going to take a week. And so that was another cool feature that we were able to just use it on the side. Now, those are more admin feature type things, so those are kind of more boring. Boring, but, but needful. I really feel like yeah. what we've been talking about, because the broader topic of this conversation today is AI, which then ended up being about ML, um, but that the, the large language models, specifically in this case, chat GPT, are or is a interface between a human being and then all that AI that's happening. And so now we have a easy way to um, get access to the data, not just the data, but the, um, the meaning in the data, the insight from the data, and yep. be able to manipulate it on the fly and then get answers very fast, get information very fast. And then, you know, we're talking about developing config and all that stuff as well, and I get it. 
But what are some of the problems then with this interface? I mean, did everything go perfectly according to plan in your development of these applications and then in your, your, your team lead developing that application? Yeah. Um, no, it, and it, it doesn't. Um, you know, I, I think we're, we're a decent ways away from getting total 100% accuracy on anything. Mm -hmm. Um, but also, well, so that's that's a lot of the misconception. And let me let me let me call that out right now. Sure. So one of the core understandings of data science and ML and AI is that there's a certain point that you can't get any better than a human could. So if if a human is able to do a job at ninety five percent accuracy. It's very hard to say in a lot of situations that a machine model, an ML model, um, an AI model can do any better than that. Really? Now, there That's are applications where it can, mm -hmm. but there's a very small gap between how much better it can do it than a human. Now, there are exceptions and there, there, there are, you know, exceptions to that rule. But in general, we shouldn't be expecting it to do much better than a human in a lot of scenarios. So if you are building config and a human can only do it at 98% accuracy, probably not even that good. You know, if, if you get that close, you're, you're, in, the, you're in a win scenario. Um, <clears throat> the, in my experience, um, I found that knowing how, um, knowledge of, of what you're trying to build and knowledge of what you're asking um, the AI or ML system to provide you is critical. So you get much better results if you are able to be more detailed in the, the prompts that you give. So people have started talking as prompt engineering as a, mm -hmm. as a career. And I don't know if I'd go as far as that, but it will play a very critical role um, in all of this, being able to provide very good prompts. With that, um, I've, I've learned, so, so I did this project um, that I'm, I'm kind of just playing around with going forward. And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to have ChatGTP build me a full containerized web application that is built on Flask and Python and yada, yada, and, and have it deploy it into a cloud environment or Kubernetes or whatever. And I'm not going to touch the config at all. I'm going to have AI do everything, specifically ChatGPT4. Um, and then... So what I did is I started walking through the project and it's like, okay, how would I build this out myself? And so I started asking ChatGTP for, um, for it to build all the configs for me. The first thing needed exactly was the knowledge of how the application is built so I can get the configs out of it. Yeah. Um, then what I found out later on is that order of operations was pretty critical. So um, when I would start going through it, things would go smooth, configs would get updated as I typed, you know, um, request for new configs in. But later on, when I had to jump back to a specific config file or to a specific module in Python and say, hey, I need you to update this to add this, 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 and this, it had a harder time with that. And so the workflow and the order of operations as you go through it I feel are more critical because the AI still gets lost in, in some of that information. Mm -hmm. So to me, those are kind of the areas that, that you have to pay attention to. Um, and then as we get more deeper into using it and, and we build these into our workflows, um, I, I think those are the areas we got to focus on for accuracy. 
Okay. And ultimately, like anything else in technology or really anything else that exists, um, everything is kind of iterative, right? Uh, yeah. It, it's, I think it's amazing where we are. And to suggest that it's no good because it doesn't, you know, it's not magic yet is silly. Um, it's a huge step forward. And, uh, and I appreciate it for what it is and look forward to what's coming down the road, which ultimately begs the question. It doesn't beg the question. To me, this implies that you really don't need a PhD in data science or advanced understanding of machine learning or even a cursory understanding of, of data analysis to be able to interact with the technology now that we right. have this human language model that can sit uh, in between us as a human being at a keyboard uh, and, and the actual um, artificial intelligence workflow that happens under the hood, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I learned when I did my transition from network engineer into software engineer that, you know, it's, it's not one of those where I was going to become a software engineer overnight. And it's, you know, it's, it's, you got to understand and, and appreciate that these, these um, data scientists and these engineers that build these models and build these systems, you know, they got PhDs in this stuff. They've been working in these industries for 20 plus years to do this. And for us to just jump in there last minute, you know, with a handful of years of experience, we're not getting the same quality as they are. Mm -hmm. And that has to be appreciated. Mm -hmm. um, but they've, as an end user, we've, that's what we are. That's our focus is we use the products they build. And so we have to learn how to leverage them in those ways to, to your point. And it's become easier and easier. And every single year it gets better and better and easier and easier for us to actually leverage these tools. Um, I think that was one of the bigger explosions. Um, well, the, the explosion and the hype around um, chat GTP and LLMs didn't necessarily come from um, OpenAI's awesome GPT models, okay? They were pretty standard and they, they're, they're pretty good. They, they hold the industry standard for performance now, but it wasn't necessarily that that model exists and it was much better. It was how it was delivered to the users. Um, it gave everybody a very simple interface to play with it. You didn't have to understand all the bells and whistles. And that is where I think the the explosion in the industry happened is because of the simplicity there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense because frankly, I am not that smart and I can log into my chat GPT subscription and start doing productive things with it right away. Um, and uh, and yeah. I am no data scientist, that's for sure. But I do look forward to how we apply this technology, not just the, um, uh, the large language models and the natural language what is the L, what does the P stand for? Natural language NLP. Processing. Processing, thank you. Um, not just that, but the underlying artificial intelligence workflow, the machine learning workflow that's adding um, that uh, insight to the entire process that we may not have otherwise had or that would be just insurmountable for us to attain on our own uh, in a reasonable amount of time considering the amount of data yeah. that we have to look at now and the complexity of networking today. So... Anyway, uh, Ryan, this has been really excellent. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing more of what you are personally working on and, of course, just tracking your career as well because I know that's, that's just really interesting. If I could have it to do over again, um, you know, networking is great, and I love it as an as a industry and as a career, but I am so interested in this stuff. Um, to me, it's not just like the SDN fad. It's uh, very real. 
and I can see, not just because it's being used in networking, but you can see how this technology is used across the world in, in a variety of industries and, and has real value. It's very attractive to me. I would definitely look at that as a career option if I was, you know, 18 years old graduating high school. Yeah. Today. And I, I would add to that too, you know, and, and it's, it's career, career advice and take it as it is, you know, we, at some point in time, we all have to kind of pick where we're going to focus on and we kind of pick, pick what we're going to do when we grow up. Um, and a lot of us, I think we kind of get stuck in the rut that that's where we got to stay. Um, and I've, I've never really liked that myself. You, you can see that I've bounced around a lot. Um, you know, I've, I was given the advice a while back that we all get to kind of choose our own adventure. And so I, I, I really take that to heart. And I, you know, I, I, I would hope that everybody does that as well. Um, there's a lot of movement that can happen in this industry. Yeah. And you can follow those interests as much as you want. It's just how much effort do you want to put into it? And you just got to be very open-minded about it and go for it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. We, we reserve the right to change our minds. Yep. And uh, I, I add the caveat, especially when I talk to my own kids. I have one that's starting to look at colleges. Say, I say to her, you have the, resite, the, the, you have the right to change your mind about majors and career options, but whatever you do, you give it maximum effort. Don't play around. You know, dive into it and give it your all. And if you want to change your mind five years later, that's fine. I've done it, <laughs> and it's yeah. worked out okay. Anyway, Ryan, it's really been great to have you today. Um, I really appreciate talking to you. I'd love to talk to you again and uh, get into the weeds uh, even more about maybe specific ML models and how we apply them and, and why. Um, so if anyone has a question or a comment, how can they find you online? Um, so kind of Twitter and LinkedIn are the best ways to go. Um, Twitter's kind of whatever it is right now, and maybe it'll be gone by the time this is published, who knows, but I'm, um, at that one guy underscore 15, um, most anywhere like Reddit, um, LinkedIn, Twitter, all those various places, that one guy 15 is my handle. Um, but LinkedIn's probably the smartest way to get a hold of me. Um, reach out. Anybody's welcome. DM me, reach out and chat. I love to talk about any of this. Um, my GitHub's out there. The the project that I talked about, about building the web app with ChatGPT4, um, that's actually out on my GitHub page. Um, I have the full context of the whole thing, just kind of as an experiment, and I continue to play around with it and push stuff out there, so you're, you're interested to check that out as well, or contribute if you want. I don't care. Um, so, yeah, those, those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me. Great. Thanks. And uh, you can find me on Twitter still, uh, network underscore Phil. You can search my name, LinkedIn. And uh, if you have an idea for an episode or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Just give me an email at telemetrynow at kentic.com. So uh, until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.